Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Chapter 3, John 3. It's kind of a, a strange place for a Christmas text, but, but here we are. My dad told me one time when they were naming me that they couldn't figure a name. They already had four kids, and so they couldn't think of a name. And they had three girls and my older brother, Mark. And um, so I think they took turns naming. I think that's why, if I remember right in this conversation, they took turns naming the kids. And so my mom and my dad and my mom, and I think my mom chose my brother Mark's name. And then it came to my dad, and I don't think he could think of anything. And he as much as told me this. That like, well, you know, it follows Mark really good. Luke. It's like, really? <laughs> really, Dad, thanks. A lot of thought went into that, but I found that um, there was purpose in it. I found later on that Luke means light. And uh, it's my desire to to let God's light shine through me, and, and I want to shed light on the scriptures and bring those to light. I didn't know anything about purpose really growing up other than it was kind of there behind the scenes all the time, like you should... You should live holy lives, and we should pursue God, and we should let God have his way in our lives. And th- those are purpose kinds of things. But um, a lot of life, when I was growing up, just came to me by accident or, you know, just kind of rolled with the punches or went with the flow and tried to make the best out of all of that. And it didn't occur to me until later on that, you know, you kind of set your life before you and set goals, and you go forward, and you work towards those goals. And and when there's purpose, and purpose is good, and it's performed in the right way, it can make the world a better place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you you didn't just accidentally get here today. You purposed to be here. So if you're here today, pat yourself on the back a little bit. You accomplished a purpose, and that at least one of those purposes is to be here. It can make the world a better place. When we look at the prophecies about Jesus, we're going to come to John 3 here in a moment, but... When we look at the prophecies about Jesus, it's like looking at um, his coming from the outside. So it'll describe something about Jesus' coming, but it's like looking at it from the outside. But when Jesus uh, comes and he begins uh, talking about what his purposes are, we start to start to see what he's doing from inside the event. And so there are times where as Jesus gets older, we when he's a baby, we hear these purpose statements about why he's come. But when he gets older, we start to hear from him what his purposes are, why he's come into the world. And I think that's really important to reflect upon even at Christmas. Like, we might think that it'd be the best thing to do today to dwell in a Christmas text. And I want to tell you that all of it is a Christmas text because this is God's purpose being accomplished through Jesus. So we begin to see it from inside of the events. And some, some of the um, reasons for Jesus' birth didn't become clear until he became a man, and he tells us why he came. He tells Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you a king? And you remember Jesus' response to that? This just before his crucifixion. He said, the reason I was born, that's Christmas, isn't it? The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Christmas is about Jesus coming to testify to the truth about God truth about sin, 
Come on, right? The, the world is a fallen place, the truth about us. He testifies to that. And most of all, I would suggest he's testifying to the truth about himself, that he is truth on display for us. That's John eighteen thirty seven. To his disciples, he said, and this seems to be one of those moments where the disciples are in conflict about who's the greatest, who's the greatest among us. And they all had their ideas about that. And there's at least two separate occasions where this became an issue. One is when James and John, their mother came to Jesus and said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can you set my boys on your right and your left? And Jesus uh, talks to them, and then he addresses the greater crowd in this kind of um, implied rebuke against that thinking. And he said to the disciples, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark ten forty-five. And so th- this is, a again, a purpose statement. The Son of Man did not come. Jesus talking about himself. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. To the Pharisees, he said, in John 10, 10, um, the Pharisees are challenging him on his ministry and what he's there for and what he's doing and the origin from which he came. And in John 10.10, 10, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Why was Jesus born? Well, we, we see he's born to testify the truth. He's born to serve. He's born to give us life to the full. And that's not all of his purpose statement. That's only a sampling of the things that Jesus says about himself. You know, in John 3, uh, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. He's probably worried about people seeing him with Jesus, and so um, he comes to see him at night. There's other theories on that, which we we don't want to take a Christmas morning to uh, reflect upon, but I think there's good indication to believe that he's not being fully aware of who Jesus is. He's trying to get more information without and, and at the same time, minimize damage to his reputation, okay? Because there's consequence of following Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus begins to explain to him, if he's going to enter the kingdom, it's not just about being righteous. There has to be something supernatural that takes place in us. We call it being born again, okay? And he explains a little bit about that. Nicodemus is scratching his head, and, and Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel. Don't you remember Ezekiel? 36, and uh, of course, he explains a little bit about that, and then he says this, a purpose statement about himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so this is a purpose statement. This is Jesus explaining why he's come into the world, that God gave a gift. The best gift is not always the gift we think we need, but we find out we need later on, and we recognize the value of it. Any Anybody here, um, and I'm not asking for anybody to show a hand, but there was a long time you thought you didn't need Jesus, and then you met him and you realized how much you really needed him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you may have driven past churches on Sundays like this and thought, what are they doing? That's a free day. Why go spend it doing that? And you didn't understand, and now you've met Jesus, and he's the world to you. Okay, so something happened. You you received a gift you didn't even know you needed. And then once you entered in, you realized how wonderful it is. And that's what this is about today is that Christ is the gift that maybe we didn't realize we needed, but we did need. And it's God's expression to us 
want to talk about some just I think five or six things here re- related to um, it's f- it's five so you can check one off. We're going to leave a little earlier than you thought just now. Uh, there's five things I want to mention <laughs> mention to you about this verse that shows us something about Christmas. The first thing is that that Jesus is love's expression. Okay, you express your love in different ways. Maybe you send Christmas cards. Maybe you give gifts. You take care of needs. Sometimes it's not even about all of that. It's just about the ordinary everyday things that you step up and you do what is needed for your family. Okay, And you express love, and it's an expression of love. Not always is it appreciated. Okay, Like me, when my, my grandma made that quilt for me, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't appreciate how much work went into that and what an expression of love that was, that every hour that she spent sewing, she was thinking of me. I didn't think of that. I thought, I'm a little boy. I want toys. Quilts, uh, I don't really need that unless I'm cold, you know. I wasn't thinking that, but I was so appreciative for what it meant. And as I grew older, I'm, I'm a little ashamed of myself and my ingratitude. And I'm ashamed that I didn't show my gratitude a little bit more and recognize the value of the gift that was given. And so when we look at Jesus um, coming, we need to understand that he... He is, the, he is God's expression of love to us. Look at what it says here. We know, we know this verse so well, but sometimes I think we, we don't always get what's being said in the moment. Um, it says here in, in verse 16, and why can't I find it on the page? There it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, so loved the world. Actually, in, in the Greek that stands behind this, the first word in the whole sentence is so or thus, or it can be translated to the NLT, you'll recognize this, in this way, God loved the world. And actually, I don't think it means right there, that word so doesn't mean so much. That's later in the sentence when we hear only son. Then we know how much. But right here, it's telling us, this is the way in which God loved the world. Just so God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we see an expression of love. This tells us what God was doing in sending his son into the world. These words of uh, Jesus or these words of John uh, show that he understands that his way, his work, his death, his resurrection are the giving of the love of the Father to the world, okay? Do you, do you understand that when we think about God's expression of love, oftentimes because of where we are in our cultural climate, we've come through an era of romanticism, and that doesn't mean romantic in the way that we think, but, but love is a feeling. And, and that, is, that is more of a cultural and historical thing than it is necessarily a biblical thing. Because in the Bible, love is more than a feeling, Okay? It's an expression, it's an act, and you can see that somebody loves you not by how much they feel, but by what they do, and God has shown his love to us, and this is not the only place that it says it like this. In Romans 5, 8, it says God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, he put on display, he gives us proof, he gives us evidence that he loves us. And this verse is saying a very similar thing, is that in this way, God loved the world. Okay, you need to know it. Now, 
that affects us on a Tuesday and a Thursday when we're feeling like God doesn't love us or he's mad at us. Because what we can do is we can go to our feelings or we can go to the Bible. Go to our feelings, which say, I don't feel like God loves me. Or we can go to the Bible, which says, in this way, God loved you. Okay, you hear that? Because we need to, we need to be our first best preacher for ourselves, right? Before we call the pastor or our spiritual friend, maybe what we need to do is ask, what does the Bible say about this? Not how do I feel. What the Bible says about this is, and, and I'm not saying I don't want your call. I, I'd love to talk to you if you want to talk. But what I'm saying is that we need to encourage ourselves with Scripture that God has already made a statement on this. Refer to the statement. There's a precedent that's been set, and the precedent is one of active love by giving his own son. Now, the next thing is love's measure. So we have love's expression, which is, in this way God loved the world. He gave his son. Okay, now love's measure. So I said that the how much isn't seen in the so. God so much, we often read, love the world. I don't think that's what that's intended to mean. The, the word there means in this way, okay? But the measure of God's love is found in his only son. He gave his only son. There's the measure, okay? What did he give? His only son, his only son. That's the measure. He gave his one and only son. And so you have to realize that when this is said to Nicodemus, he may not have known what gave fully means, okay? He he gave his son. If Jesus is there and he's, he's talking to Nicodemus or if John is telling this, at that moment, Nicodemus doesn't know the full extent of this. Jesus is still alive. He doesn't know the full extent of having gave. He's here, but he doesn't know about the cross, right? He doesn't know about the suffering. He doesn't know about the substitution. He may know about it from the Old Testament, but many people failed to make the connection. Okay, so... Even as a teacher of Israel, there's many of them that failed to connect Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant with the Messiah that was coming. They all wanted David riding in on a white horse. That's what they wanted. They never imagined somebody going to a cross. And so when it says he gave, he gave in this sacrificial way his one and only son. Okay? Um, we, we have translation like I think the KJV and probably some others that say, only begotten, and the confusion there can revolve on whether part of that word uh, stems from one root or part of it stems from another, and probably a better understanding of this is the one-of-a-kind son, the one-of-a-kind son. He gave his one-of-a-kind son. Now, this same word here, when it says his one and only, it's one word, and it's the same word that's used of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, his one and only son. Now, you know that Abraham didn't just have one son. How many of you know that? that he, had, he had Ishmael first, and then uh, later through Keturah, he had multitude sons, including Midian, which was a thorn in Israel's side. Uh, so he had many sons, but this was a unique, one-of-a-kind son. Okay? Isaac was. He was the miraculous son that was given. And Jesus, in even a more unique way, is the Son of God. Okay? There's no, there's no one like him. Okay? And we are, we are sons and daughters of God, but not in the same way that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? He's the Son of God by nature. We're sons and daughters of God by adoption. 
Okay? And I'm not trying to differentiate. I think he actually glorifies us in a particular way by bringing us into the family and saying, I'm putting you on equal status, not equal status with Jesus. He's unique and he's the Lord. But as sons of God, you get all the benefits. You get to be co-heirs with Christ and recipients of the kingdom. And he calls us his, his sons and his daughters, and that's special. Because when adoption happens, that's choice. When you got a kid born to you, you have to love them. When you adopt, you're choosing. You're saying, I choose you. I love you. Now, love is not a problem for God. His love is, is both barrels all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? He loves us in that way. And so this is love's measure is that he gave his one and only son. And then uh, through earlier in this chapter, as I said, Nicodemus doesn't know what gave mean, but Jesus hints at it when he talks about the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness and that those who look upon it uh, were healed. And so there's some reference to it, but surely Nicodemus doesn't know the full measure of it. And maybe we've not been able to process the full measure of God's love for us. Like, how could he love us like that? He does. He loves us like that. First, we see love's expression is through giving the son. He gave his son. Love's measure is he gave his one and only son. Okay? And then we see love's opportunity. Love presented us with an opportunity. Whosoever, whosoever, who's that talking about? That's everyone or anyone. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever is referring to anyone who will, whoever will come. That's an invitation, you see. This is love's opportunity is that God extends by that degree of divine humility that we don't understand um, many times, that he brought himself low, he condescended himself to our situation and when we were the ones who were rebels, he chased us down. And many you've you maybe got into a conflict with a friend or with somebody, and you say, if that's the way they're going to be, then I'm not going to make any more effort. And you write them off. Anybody done that? Don't raise your hand. Just think about it. You've just written them off. And maybe it's maybe it's what they deserve. Maybe they deserve that distance. Maybe that what they did was really wrong, and you're like, I'm in the right here. I'm not going to go chase them down. Okay, And there are probably justifiable times where that's the right response. But look at how God deals with this, is that he pursues the rebel as a lover trying to woo him or her back. This is God's opportunity that he gives is that love presents itself in this way. Whoever believes in him should not perish. I don't mean to say that there's not accountability or that we won't have to answer for our sins or that at the end of the day, um, you know, that every, everybody's going to be saved. I don't believe that. But I do believe that God is a impassioned lover who is pursuing the beloved. And he wants to give opportunity for people to come to know him as father. Okay, And so he sent Jesus and presented love's opportunity. Whosoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish. And that's love's consequence, is that they should not perish. Now, if you want to read this super literally, you would might read in this that we'll never die a physical death. And that's not what this is saying. 
Okay, this is saying that you'll not enter spiritual death. These bodies die, okay? But we don't have to experience spiritual death because of the gift that was given, the great gift that we need. All of us were doomed to die, and we're doomed to receive the consequences of our sins. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We stand before God in, in hawk. We're, we're in need. We're in debt to him because of our sin. And the right consequence of that is that we should die, that we should be separated from him, but he chose not to let that be the last word, and he pursued us and loves consequences that we should not perish. This is a, a way of stating something that presents a possibility. Okay, um, If you believe in him in the way that Jesus is talking about here, in the way that John's talking about here, referring to here, you will not perish. But this is saying that the gift is there, but some people will not receive it. Okay? You understand that the gift is there um, and loves consequences that you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? That's the consequence, is that we can live eternally. And this isn't just some imaginary thing that we do with our brains concerning the future in order to get through a troubled world until we, until we die. No, this is real hope. It's that we can, really, we can really have eternal life. And not just a nebulous thing that's out there where we're some kind of floating cloud. No, he's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth and a new body, a resurrected body. And so for me, I, it took me a long time to really grasp that. And when I did, I'm like, okay, this now, I understand this to be more real than what I thought before. Now, it didn't change anything about what was going to happen, but my understanding changed. Okay, and when you come to understand that, then it helps us to know that he will give us life and there will be a resurrection. There will be a day of resurrection where we will live again. Someone said that there's not only life after death, but there's life after life after death. And that means that if you die now, I believe you go be with Jesus. And then you're in heaven. But there's a day that's coming where all who are with Jesus will be raised in resurrected bodies. And that's what he's talking about, that you should not perish but have eternal life. And that life will not be dominated by sin and will not be your bodies will not be dominated by sickness. And there will not be an end. And if that sounds... If that sounds uh, frightening to you, it's probably because we haven't really fully understood the beauty of who God is, that there's enough in him to fascinate us for all eternity. And he's got something for us to do, by the way. Okay, So there's love's consequences that he said, I don't want to, having created you, I want to be able to spend eternity with you. So love created a way, and the consequence of being of trusting in him, and that's love's demand. This is the final, this is the fifth thing, so you'll be glad to know we're uh, well on our way here. Um, love's demand is that we believe in him, okay? Whosoever believes in him. And we might want to think that this is kind of a passive thing, but it's not. The, the verb that's used here is an active thing, that we're tr- entrusting ourselves to him. And there's there's our part to play in that. And so... Um, I want you to know that we're, we're trusting in him means that we're, we're trusting that he's going to do it, okay? It's not us accomplishing this. It's not us 
he's done all the work. I, I pictured this this way, and maybe there's something wrong with this, but but I don't know. Um, like holding on on the back of a motorcycle. You know what I mean? Like you're not the driver. You're not the one determining the direction, but you're just clinging to the one who is. Okay? And so I think in some ways this is what what uh, the belief and the clinging to and the the um, standing firm in faith is about because that's commanded to us. And God empowers all of that. He doesn't say, you know, believe in me and doesn't give us any help. He does give us help. But this is love's demand. Believe in him. Believe in him. It's not passive, but it's active. And so we don't think of ourselves as deserving here. We are believing in someone else's ability, not our own. So, so we're clear. When we're believing in Jesus, we're believing in someone else's ability. Do you understand that? We couldn't save ourselves. He could save us. All we're doing is trusting in the one who can. That's faith. And so it's not our ability. Believing puts ourselves in God's hands to be able to save us. Okay? And certainly God is drawing us. He, um, he does much of the work here. And faith comes from hearing the word of God. You shouldn't leave here today. Um, and I know this is a time which that can happen where we can feel all alone and unloved. And maybe a situation is surrounding your life or circumstances right now where you feel that's the case. Don't leave that way today. Because love has been demonstrated in the coming of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. That's why we're dressed in red and greens. This is why we come and reflect upon the birth of Christ as we're celebrating love's gift. He gave. He gave his only sons. Four letters in English. It's six letters in Greek. He gave. He gave to us his son. This is what we should know. We all understand the desire to be loved by someone else. and You're loved by the most important person of all. No, God himself loves you, and he's proven it, and he's given the best. He's given the best. So when you read John 3.16, God so loved the world, don't read the so much right there. Read God loved the world in this way that he gave so much his only son. Okay, That's what we need to understand is that he loved the world. He demonstrated it. It's the greatest gift that could ever be given. He's given the best. He's made an opportunity for us to be changed. And we do so by believing in Jesus, the Savior. Okay, And so today I've tried to present this message to us. I think I was thinking of the shepherds. It's amazing how a little bit of information can change our perspective. Okay, In a moment, they were greatly terrified. Wouldn't you be if you're out? It's quite sheep. They don't have... They don't have their Bluetooth speaker blaring out there in the middle of the night. There's sheep that are wandering around eating. It's quiet, probably. Maybe some wind blowing. I don't know how you imagine that. But then there's a bright, shiny figure that appears. I imagine it's a bright, shiny angel. I don't know if he had wings or not. We're not told that all angels have wings. So somebody appears and starts announcing something that's going on. And whatever that looked like, they were terrified. They feared with a great fear. 
Come on, right? They feared with a great fear. And then they said, no, this is, this is good tidings of great joy for all people. And then they joyed with a great joy. So a little bit of information, a little bit of perspective changed everything for them. And we might today be feeling something like apathy or uh, fear towards God or maybe we're angry with him. I want today for this message to be that thing that helps us as the Holy Spirit applies it to our life to change from whatever that is to great joy at what we've received. God has loved us, and that's good news. And our response ought to be put faith in Jesus. Okay, Right? Faith comes by hearing, Paul says in Romans 10, hearing by the word of God, we hear the word of God, and there's an opportunity that's presented for us where the help of God will be and, and you may feel this prompting right now. Believe in Jesus. And at that point, we have a choice. I know, because I sat in chairs and listened to pastors my whole life. And there are times where I felt God was drawing me to confidence in him, to lay aside sin, to turn to him with all of my heart. And the faith was there. All I needed to do was get up out of my seat and go forward to the altar. I didn't even really need to do that. You, you understand that God can meet us there where we're at. But at that moment, I chose to resist instead of respond. And thankfully, his grace came again in waves again and again and again. And he, he wooed me to himself. And I found purpose. You know, I could have been wandering around purposeless in life, but God's purpose intersected. He found a way to bring me in tangent with his purpose so that we could walk together and fulfill that together. But I had to believe, and the help was there to do it at that moment. Maybe right now the help is, I don't expect that later today it's going to be as easy as it is right now. You understand? But there are moments where it's God is near. Seek the Lord while he's near. And this is a moment to do that. And so if you've not trusted in the Lord today, would you do that? Would you accept his love and believe in Jesus? And... So that's one response. I'm going to invite you to stand. And the second response is like this, is that you you might have already said yes to the Lord. And I think the proper response then is appreciating the love of God and bringing it to others. Appreciate the love of God and bringing it to others, that he loved us in this way. One thing that I was so glad for now, when you're a kid, you want to get into the presence as soon as possible. Every day of school that has to happen before you get to the presence is long and laborious. You can't wait for it to be done. Every little, every day, every moment on the clock stands in the way of that. Anybody relate to that or is that just me? Was I super selfish? I think that's probably true of most kids. And then we would get to that time. It's time, but not yet. And dad would say, we're going to read the Christmas story. And I'm telling you, nobody could have read the Bible faster than I could have, if I could have read during that time. But he said, no, we're going to stop. We're going to think about what the best gift of all is. It's the gift of Jesus. And so he demanded, we're going to read the Christmas story. And so we did. By the time I was a teenager, I could have quoted it to you from memory, having read it and having thought Boy, I wish we could get through this. But then at some point, something changed in me. God helped me to see that this is 
something that I ought to appreciate. The first call was to accept his love and believe. And it was always so near. It was like I was walking a parallel path. And then one day I said yes to Jesus, and then I started to appreciate his love and to bring it to others. And that's, I think, our response today. So why don't we bow our heads for a moment? If you're trusting in the Lord, would you say thank you to the Lord? Would you say thank you, Jesus, for coming? Thank you, Father, for sending this great and precious gift. You loved the world in this way. He gave your son. A world that didn't want to have anything to do with you, that was walking in darkness, that was going astray, that was rebelling. And you gave a gift. You gave the precious gift, the most precious of all, your son. We appreciate what you've done. And that's, there's no great word for it. But we want to say thank you. We want to honor you. We want to honor your foresight and your wisdom and your knowledge in doing so. We want to honor your grace and your mercy in giving us this gift that we didn't deserve. We want to say thank you. Express that. We're going to sing in a moment. You'll be able to express that in your words. The second thing is this, and I've already mentioned it, is that if you've not yet accepted God's love and believed in Jesus, today you can do that. Would you just acknowledge that you stand in need of him? Like everyone else, we stand in need of his forgiveness because we've all sinned. And we've sinned against heaven first. This is God's world, and we made a mess of it. But we want to, for our part, we've made a mess for our part. And we need his forgiveness, and Jesus is the way to that. Would you accept his love? Maybe you feel like you don't deserve love. None of us deserve love. Would you accept love freely given? A love from a lover whose one thing that he does so well is to love. Would you believe in him? Just say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust you. I trust you to save me. I trust you to forgive me, to come into my life and make a difference you pray a prayer like that today, would you let somebody that you know as a believer know about it so they can pray with you and walk with you through the next steps? Because God is good, and he'll give you his help of his Holy Spirit, and we also need the community of faith to walk with us through this. This is God's great and precious gift. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.